Therefore, I will hedge her way up with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the the grain, the wine and the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season. And I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. And I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them, and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry. And went after lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer me as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety." And I will betroth you to me forever, forever. I will betroth you to you, to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you help us uh, now to do what we have sung? Would you help us, uh, even in our fear, our sin, our sadness, our darkness, our death, to come to Christ as he speaks to us in these words? There are uh, words and images here that are disturbing Uh, There are words and images that are profoundly beautiful and comforting. So we pray that you would help us to come with humility. Would you help us to come knowing our need, trusting the provision of your grace, not only to give us this word, but to accompany this word with your own spirit. And so would you open our hearts, our lives to him. So that he would take the, the seed of your word, plant it in us, and that it may produce a fruit, a harvest.
for your glory in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever noticed that the wilderness dominates the landscape of the Bible? The desert is everywhere. And we need to understand that the desert in Scripture, uh, it isn't a nice place to visit on your trip out west. It's not a nice place to visit for a vacation. No, the desert is a place of profound insecurity, profound uncertainty, profound instability, threatening hunger and thirst and other dangers. To be in the wilderness is to be at a distance from the resources that one needs to live life well. To be in the wilderness is to be at a distance from the resources that produce true human flourishing. So isn't it interesting that God is constantly taking his people there? God is over and over again taking his people to this desolate, dangerous place. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, the nation of Israel with Moses, David, Elijah, and on and on and on. This is an essential pattern to the way that God works in and with and through his people. And essential to the message of Hosea to the people of God is that God is doing this again. He is working according to this pattern once again. Only this time it's, no much, it's not so much that he is taking them to the wilderness as he is bringing the wilderness to them. The desert is invading their lives. God is draining from them the resources that produce human flourishing. The resources that are necessary to live life well. Have you ever noticed that the wilderness sometimes dominates the landscape of your life? Not necessarily the physical experience of that. But doesn't this, this place of uncertainty, this place of instability, This place of unmet longings, hunger, and thirst. This place of of deprivation and danger. Doesn't it sometimes describe your experience? Some of you sit here this morning and you feel at a great distance from the resources you need. To live life well. Some of you this week have felt a great distance from the resources that would lead to your flourishing, the flourishing of your family, the flourishing of your community. And I have to I think we have to say, based on the patterns of the Bible, that God is at work in that experience. The wilderness, the desert, is part of how he acts, works in our lives.
why? That's the question I want to ask this morning. Why does God take us to this desolate place? And and I, I can't comprehensively answer the why question, but I do think from this text, we can find two reasons that will help us not only live, but actually thrive in the wilderness. God takes us into the desert in order to lead us away from something and lead us towards something. So first of all, away. God takes us into the desert to lead us away from something. The wilderness here in Hosea 2 is the judgment of God, right? God is, God is taking the vineyards. He's taking the wine. He's taking the oil. He's taking the grain. He is taking the wool away from them. And not only is he taking things away from them, he is imposing thorns. Verse 6. An echo of his response in Genesis chapter 3 to the primal sin of Adam and Eve. God is creating a desert-like experience as a consequence for the sin of his people. But we need to understand that God's judgment, when he judges his people, it is never merely punitive. In other words, God isn't just getting back at them. He isn't just hurting them because they have hurt him. God's judgment with those who belong to him, his judgment is always directional. The thorns in verse 6, what do they do? They interrupt a path, right? God is intervening into their lives as a kind of roadblock to stop the direction That they're going to turn them around to send them another way. Now, away from what? What is he turning them away from? Baal. (laughs) We heard that name several times in this passage, didn't we? And Baal uh, primarily uh, was a very popular deity in the communities that surrounded the nation of of ancient Israel. Uh, He was supposedly a fertility god. He uh, ruled over the storms and the rain that came off the Mediterranean Sea into that region of the world. Uh, The myths uh, said that supposedly every year at a certain point, if you did the right things, he would wake up and he would defeat the God of the dry season and bring the rainy season. And the people of the true God were constantly attracted to this false God. And you can understand that, can't you? Because see... If the rainy season doesn't come, you starve. Stable weather patterns were incredibly important. And so if you hear about this guy who can give you, provide those stable weather patterns, if you do certain things for him, you're going to walk down the road to his house. You're going to walk down the road to his temples and you're going to want to offer the sacrifices, do the rituals, participate in the festivals that will make him pay him so that he will wake up and defeat the dry season. 
And that is the path that God is roadblocking. That's the path that he is interrupting. God interrupts with the wilderness to oppose a lie about the source of life. He is saying, turn away from this false source of life. Don't go here. Here is not where true fertility, here is not where true flourishing is found. Because see, the wilderness asks a question. It poses a fundamental question. It asks, who or what will be the source of your life? Where will you find what you most need, what you most deeply desire? Who or what is the source of your life. And God uses the desert to expose and turn his people away from false sources. You see, God had said to his people, all of your life is a gift. And I am the giver. And I want you to live in trust and gratitude towards me, not in the manipulation of the forces around you to get what you want. But God's people have begun to live, verse 12, as if life was a wage. And when life is a wage, you sell yourself to the highest bidder, which ultimately, it's slavery. And so God intrudes with thorns to say, I'm not going to let you settle for that. I am not going to let you settle for these false sources of life. I am not going to let you settle for what will not satisfy, what will only enslave you. He does that with his people then. He continues to do that with his people That desert question, it is still before us this morning. Who or what will be the source of your life? Where will you find the stability, the meaning, the purpose, that ability to grow and to live life well? Where will you go for that? Where will you look for that? Now, I need to add a clarification. It would be easy to read Hosea 2 and think, all of my suffering, all of my pain, all of my experience of the wilderness is a result of my personal sin. And that's not the case. We have to put Hosea 2 and the rest of, in the wider scope of Scripture. And we have to say, you know what? Sometimes God does intervene in our life negatively in order to correct us. Sometimes our experience of the desert is self-inflicted. It's the result of our own foolishness. But sometimes that pain is not the result of our personal sin. It is the result of living in a world that has been ruined by sin. 
It's not thorns that we have created. It is the thorns of Adam. But each of those cases, whatever the case, our pain, our unmet longings, our deep anxieties, our experience of the desert provides us with the opportunity to check the direction of our lives. Where am I going? For what I most need. Where am I going? For what I most deeply desire. So a few examples of this. Frustration at work. Frustration with your job. There there could be a host of causes for that frustration. But you know what it provides you? It provides you with the opportunity to ask. Have I made my vocation? Have I made my success in my vocation the ultimate source of my meaning, my reason for living? Frustration in relationships, friendship, marriage, parenting, host of causes for those frustrations. But it provides us with the opportunity to ask, have I made this person and what they can give me The ultimate source of my peace. The ultimate source of my stability. What makes life worth living? Frustration with finances. Hosts of causes for that, but it gives us the opportunity. Have I made money? The ultimate source of my safety. What makes me feel safe in this Dangerous world. And I think for us as uh, Americans, uh, uh, sometimes the problem is that instead of, of, of taking that wilderness experience and allowing those difficult questions into our lives, into our hearts, we just try to escape the unpleasantness of the desert. We, we go glamping when we need to go camping. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? There's, a, there's an episode of the, of the television show Parks and Rec when the Parks Department of Pawnee, Indiana, they need to come up with some new ideas about how to raise revenue for the city. And, uh, and so they decide to, to take a camping trip and, and that the ruggedness of that experience is going to draw them together and promote their creativity but uh, one of the characters, Tom, he shows up with a, a tent and, and a bunch of gear that he bought on Sky Mall. And so he's got, he's got a TV and an Xbox, and he's got fans. He's got an ice cream machine. He's going glamping, right, when they need to go, when they need to go camping. Uh, we live in a Sky Mall culture. We live in a, a culture that offers us so many options to take the edge off, to numb the pain of living in the wilderness that is this world broken, ruined by sin. Now listen, we are not called to create pain for ourselves, but don't run from the questions of the wilderness. Don't run from the questions that your pain, your fear, your unmet longings pose to you. As they ask you, where are you going to find life? Where are you going to find what you most need? 
Where are you going to go with your deep desires? God leads us to that place because he wants to lead us away from these false sources of life. But that's not all. That's not all. God does take us in the wilderness to take us away, but he also takes us there in order to lead us towards something. Verse 14 is shocking. Given what we know about the desert, verse 14 is shocking. I will allure her. That word for allure is the word for seduce. I will bring her into the wilderness. I will speak tenderly to her. You see what God is saying? God is saying the place of deprivation is the place of romance. It is the place where we learn of God's love for us and how to love him in response. Yeah, that does seem shocking, but when you begin to think about it relationally, it begins to make a little bit of sense. The second year of my marriage was my final year in seminary. And we were living in Orlando, and money was tight. I mean, we were eating on like 30 bucks a week, if that. Money was tight. But we look back on that time fondly. Because that experience was, it bonded us. It it deepened our relationship. And this is less shocking, not only when you think about it relationally, but also when you think about it biblically. Think about all of the stories about the desert in the Bible. The wilderness is where Moses heard God's name and saw his glory. The wilderness is where the nation of Israel found Mount Sinai and saw the fire of God's presence and heard his voice saying, I am yours and you are mine. The wilderness is where David learned to sing Psalm 63. My soul thirst for you, O God. Your steadfast love, Lord, is not only the source of life, it is better than life. The wilderness is where Elijah heard the still, small voice of God reminding him that he had not been abandoned, although it seemed like the whole world had turned against him. The wilderness is the place where God meets his people. That's why he leads us there. He is leading us Toward himself. And when he meets his people in the desert, not only do they change, but the desert begins to change as well. Right? Water comes out of a rock, bread falls from the sky. Verse 15, where the vineyards had been destroyed, now they are restored. The valley of Accor, which means trouble, has become a door, an opening to hope. A portal to a new and better future. And then by verse 18, we find God renewing his covenant relationship not only with his people, 
But with all of creation, the language of Genesis found here again, God is restoring his covenant relationship with all of creation. He's not only overcoming the thorns of their sin, he is overcoming the thorns of Adam and renewing all things. God takes us to the wilderness to lead us to himself and to make us a part of him recreating all things. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that the desert experience will be that for us? Well, if you keep flipping the pages of your Bible, uh, you're going to get pretty quickly uh, to the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Gospel of Matthew, you're going to find another prophet. His name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist lived his life walking around yelling about the kingdom of God. Yelling and saying God's kingdom is here. God is intruding upon history to bring this renewal. And where does John the Baptist yell about that? In the desert. In the wilderness. And then you'll read about John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. And a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well Please, and what does Jesus immediately do? Where does he immediately go to display that he is the chosen son of God? He goes to the desert. He goes to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and displays, demonstrates perfect reliance on his father and defeats the voice of the tempter. And then Jesus begins his ministry of teaching and healing, also proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And his ministry, where does it lead him? Where does he go? He goes to the cross. The ultimate experience of the wilderness. Where he cries out as he dies, I thirst. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Now, why does Jesus do all of that? Well, Jesus goes into the wilderness for us so that he can be in the wilderness with us and transform that wilderness to a garden. Jesus goes into the wilderness brought about by human rebellion against God in order to be with us in that wilderness and to transform it into a new creation. And what that should do in us is it should create, along with our grief, our repentance, Our calling out to God in our pain, in our suffering, those are all part of that experience. Those are all things we should do. But along with that, we need to develop a holy curiosity about our pain, about our fear, about our unmet, frustrated longings. We need to begin to ask, how does Christ want to meet me How does God in Jesus want to reveal his love to me and teach me to love him in response? 
How in the wilderness is God in Jesus attracting me to himself and to his provision? See, Jesus went into the wilderness so he could say to us, as we are in the desert, I am the bread from heaven. I am better than manna in the wilderness. He went into the wilderness to say to us, I am that rock out of which pours living water. He went to the wilderness in order to say to us, not only will I restore the vineyards, but I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me, your life will bear Ash Wednesday in the traditional uh, Christian calendar uh, is a day that begins the season of Lent. And, and Lent is, is supposed to be uh, the season for those who practice it. it. It is a season of fasting. It's a season of, of reflection, a season of repentance. And uh, it, it's a 40-day fast, and it's connected to Jesus in the desert, to Israel in the desert. It's connected to these uh, scriptural patterns. Do you know what the date is? For Ash Wednesday this coming year, 2018, it's February 14th. It's Valentine's Day. Now, we're like, oh, those two things don't fit because we associate romance with expensive meals and and candlelight and, and fancy clothes. But Hosea would love that connection. That is Hosea's message. God saying, do you want to know my love? Do you want to know me? Do you want to be restored to this marriage with me as my people? Well, I'll meet you at the cross. I'll meet you, not at your best, but at your worst. I'll meet you in your sin. And your rebellion. I will meet you in your emptiness, your weakness, your exhaustion. I'll meet you in the desert. I'll meet you in the wilderness. And I will show you my love. I will reveal to you my mercy. My God leads us to the wilderness in order to lead us to himself. How in your experience of the desert is God attracting you away from the false sources of life to the vine, the bread, the living water, the one who is the true source You see, when the landscape of our week, our lives, is dominated by the wilderness, we can live, and we can not only live, we can thrive. Because we belong to the one who not only leads us into the desert, but to the one who can make the desert bloom. That's what he's doing in your life. 
what he's doing in my life, what he's doing in the life of this church and his church around the world.